Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Brad Garoon. Do you listen to, hi Rev, do you listen to um, any, any uh, Bill Simmons podcasts on, on, I, his, on his network? I don't, should I? No, only because you did a pretty good job of saying my name just then, but uh, Chris Ryan says Andy Greenwald's name just like that, but in a much more enthusiastic, loud manner. Um, so maybe you get some tips. I, I can be more enthusiastic and loud if you want. Don't forget, I used to really be into wrestling. Right. You just got to pull your face away from the mic before you shout because otherwise it blows out the audio. Uh, see, I did do that. You know why? Because I majored in audio in college, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Brad. Have you had any good burgers lately? Nope. Yeah, you can't be serious. I am not serious. I had... You were with me, man. Uh, this is actually a good, as good a place as I need to talk about it. You were with me when we went to STK. Did you get any of the burgers that night? You know what? It's funny. I did not get a single burger. Um, well, I ate a couple of burgers there. We went to this little uh, mini burger gathering at STK, and... Um, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast and elsewhere about the difference between sliders and mini burgers, but it's not what I want to talk about right now. Real quick, I just want to say that mini burgers in general are kind of tough to do well, right? They, they're they smaller. They're, they're, I, don't, I don't know that people can really put as much uh, care into them. I've had a, them at a few places that are pretty good, like beer authorities are pretty good. Um, but STKs really blew me away, and I'm feeling a little sad that you didn't get any. I am bummed. And what bums me up more is you and I then went and had another burger after that, and it sucked. Yeah, we won't say where that was. I got the bad end of that steak. <laughs> I took a really good photo of it, though. Yeah, so did I. I haven't posted it yet, though. Post, post, were, tell me, but you just went on a burger crawl and had a life-changing burger. I Well, that is one way to put it. Yes, I took a few of our burger friends out on the town last night, and we went to four burger places in about five hours, and I'm feeling it today. Uh, but I went to your favorite burger place in New York City, Black Iron Burger, uh, it's my favorite I, burger place in the world, Rev. Uh, I thought it was just New York. I didn't realize it was everywhere. In the world. It's a great burger. Uh, I had a burger there I've never had before, and it was so good that I'm still giving you flack about it because I wanted What's you to flack? come to you. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time about it. About the fact that – well, I mean, I've been to Black Iron – uh, do you want me to bury the lead about what the burger is, or do you want to say it? Because I've been to Black Iron since they've had this burger. I just haven't ordered it yet. Uh, one day I'll go back. But, you know, this isn't the only podcast I'm on. I had to record my other one. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, it's the Hash Brown Burger. It's two four-ounce patties of all-natural Schweiden Sons beef plugged to our sponsor um, with thin, crispy potato pancake on it, um, Swiss cheese, caramelized grilled onions, tartar sauce, and sun-dried tomatoes, which I didn't get on mine. But it was so good. I don't like tartar sauce. I would never order it, but it worked. It worked so good. I loved it. It's a it's a Laka burger. It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. I'm. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm saying it is because I say so. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I want. I want to try it. It's interesting because Black Iron, as much as I love it, and I actually do think that the masterpiece and the Black Iron Burger are two of the best burgers in the world. Um, they were serving a couple burgers on the menu that I didn't love, so I am curious to get that hash brown burger, especially with your huge recommendation. Yeah, the uh, we were there with the sisterhood of the unbuttoning pants, and they got the masterpiece and loved it. So yeah, was that their first time meeting it? Uh, yes, it was. It was. 
And you even brought up friend from Georgia, uh, uh, Billy's Burger blog, right? What's it called? What's it He's, called? Well, on Instagram, he is at Billy's Burgers. That's actually how the whole thing began. He posted a picture. A bunch of our food friends started commenting on it. Next thing you know, he was in New York City, and we had a, a burger parade happening. Right on. So shout out to Billy's Burger, to this, to Unbuttoning Pants, and to Bay Burger blog, who yep. joined you as well, right? And Burger Lift. And Burger Lift. Oh, yeah. I, I'm hanging out with that guy this weekend. Good. Well, well. With that, uh, if, if talking about these Black Iron Burgers and didn't make you hungry, or the SDK Burger, this interview with David from Tasty Burger will definitely have you wanting a hamburger afterwards. So let's segue to that now and talk to David. David Dubois is the uh, head chef and overseer of Franklin Restaurant Group, which includes the Franklin Cafe, uh, Citizen Public House, and Tasty Burger, which is a Boston-based fresh hamburger restaurant with five locations, uh, including a stand in Fenway Park. Uh, they've been named the best burger by Zagat, Boston Magazine, Dig Boston, The Daily Meal, and, and, and so many more. David, question for you. How does one become the official burger of the Boston Red Sox? Um, well, you, the first thing you have to do is uh, you have to ask them. And then they – it's funny. Um, the relationship with the Red Sox is such that a lot of people want to be the first official burger of the Boston Red Sox, and once they decided that that was going to be, um, you know, uh, a, a badge they were going to allow to go out there into the public, everybody sort of clamored to get it. I think the fact that Tasty Burger was born right at the foot of, of Fenway Park, you know, where our first unit was, and the fact that, you know, we had asked to come on and work outside the park on their Yawkey Way, um, they closed down the street and do four stands on Yawkey Way and that they sort of tested the water with us and it went really well. So when we threw our hat in the ring to be considered for the official burger and to get um, locations inside the park, uh, ultimately, you know, they gave us that opportunity, even though the players that we were up against were uh, bigger, a lot bigger than us. And, you know, to their credit, I think they wanted to go with uh, the local guy and they wanted to go with um, somebody who they watched the be, you know, they watched us grow from one unit to multiple units and a place that sort of had become, you know, had insinuated itself into the fabric of the Red Sox because a lot of people were like, oh, I'll grab Tasty Burger on my way to the Red Sox game. So I think that's a great segue into a little bit of history. Where did the Tasty Burger concept come from? The concept came into play when we were, we were, you know, back in 2009 and 2010, you know, we always have sort of these discussions about what, you know, what we are interested in opening in our restaurant group. And we had been asked to come down to that neighborhood uh, you know, as it was just like starting to develop and um, put a neighborhood restaurant in there. And that was the Citizen Public House and Oyster Bar. And as we were doing that, on the opposite corner, there's an old gas station there. And we, um, we, we kept looking at it. And we had this burger concept that we had been sort of bantering about. And, um, and it, we saw it as an opportunity like, boy, it would fit perfectly in there. So we talked to the landlord, happened to be the same landlord that had brought us in to do the Citizen Public House and Oyster Bar. 
and we had, you know, really begged and pleaded, and they were like, nah, that spot's not going to be around very much longer because we're going to put a building up there. And we were like, ah, we're happy, perfectly happy to go in there on a short-term basis um, and, you know, would love to have the opportunity to pitch you our burger idea. And they, and they were kind of like, now nah, we're not really going to do anything with it. And then what eventually happened was they called us to the table and they said, okay, uh, well, I think it was on Monday, and they asked us to pitch on a Wednesday. We went in, and uh, it went really well. The landlord um, down there is Steve Samuel and Associates, and those guys are really responsible for rebuilding the Fenway neighborhood of Boston and making it one of the most vibrant neighborhoods in the city. And, um, you know, they have a real vision for the stuff they're doing down there. And... Uh, you know, they thought, great, the neighborhood needs that. It needs a burger joint in it. And they picked us, and it was it was just an awesome opportunity, also very terrifying because we had to open both restaurants within a month of each other. And um, we really didn't know what would come out of it. We thought it was going to be, you know, just a cool hangout, cool place to grab a burger, et cetera. And, uh, you know, here we are six years later. In in recent years, I think Boston has really seen a, a massive burger explosion. Not only from local, Bo- you know, like Boston Burger Company, U Burger, you know, Be Good, Wall Burgers, all these burgers coming up, but also Smash Burger, Shake Shack, Five Guys. I mean, there's burgers everywhere. What do you do at Tasty Burger that sets yourselves apart and, and to continue growing? Well, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that any big city in the states and and a lot of cities internationally, you know, sort of caught the crest of the, uh, you know, the better burger kind of mania that was going on there, especially like two to three years ago. And I think it could be said of any city in the States that they have three to five strong regional brands. And like you were saying, there's probably another 10 or 12 brands like Smash, like BurgerFi, you know, like Umami Burger that are really trying to go for the national brass ring and think that they can be a nationwide sort of brand and are going for it. And so it, it makes for a very sort of interesting pool. Now I feel like it's coming down a little in the in the other direction and the burger thing starting to tame out a little. And I think the people that were sort of jumping on a bandwagon are, 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 are shaking out. And the people that are left, like in Boston, it's it's really Wahlburger, it's us, it's uh, Boston Burger Company. You know, I feel like, you know, uh, Be Good, those are the companies that are sort of holding their ground and staying kind of, you know, because it was always about being more of a restaurant than jumping on a particular phase that happened to be going on in the restaurant industry. And, uh, you know, for us... We just don't do anything different than we've done from square one, really. And I think one of the things that differentiates us is that, you know, we never got into this thing thinking we were going to be about Better Burger. Our, our, we were always getting into this thing trying to be a part of, you know, the history of, you know, like sort of revert back to the thing that made the burger genre what it is today. You know, and I think a lot of people forget that, you know, McDonald's had 700 different meat purveyors at one point, and McDonald's didn't serve frozen 
burgers, meat, or frozen French fries until well into the 70s and early 80s. And, and I think the reality is, is that this ain't reinventing the wheel. This is just going back to that sort of the standard that made McDonald's the thing that everybody wanted to eat in 1958, you know. <laughs> and I, ironically, you know, our mission wasn't so much to be a better burger. Our mission was to compete with McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King, not with Shake Shack and, and, and Burger Fi and Smash, you know. And we went after that price point, and it worked for us, you know. If you go into Tasty Burger, you can get, uh, you know, a third pound, you know, um, uh, all natural, no growth hormone, no anti antibiotic, you know, beef um, with the same bacon, same egg on your burger. And you can get fries and you can get a beverage, and you could be within 30 to 55 cents of what it would cost you to get the same the same size meal, give or take four or five ounces of soda in an urban McDonald's or a Burger King. That that's a differentiating factor compared to like a Wall Burger or a Shake Shack or a place where that it's just more expensive to eat that food. So, given the importance of the way that you source your ingredients, what what kind of advice can you give to others about ways to be mindful in sourcing your ingredients the way that you do? I think it's just how you have to think about it. Like it, it's it, it's a relationship driven business, and you and it's also a business where you have to do your homework. You know, you can't you can't be price driven solely. You have to understand that. You know, the five items that you're going to sell the most of in this business are all traded on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So in a lot of ways, and I've been in restaurants a long time and I'm a chef by trade, and, you know, you know, we're used to watching prime costs. We're used to watching food costs. But this is, you know, a commodity business in a lot of ways. And so if you can get, you know, those four to five principal commodities under control, then you can stabilize your 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 cost. For us, that means you know picking your purveyors carefully, and maintaining a, a long-term relationship with those purveyors, and understanding the standard that you want to serve, and chasing that standard, and then working with the people that produce that standard to be able to get you into a price point that you can sustain. You know, we've we've been out. To the, to the pastures where our cattle, you know, graze. And we have been to the feedlots and been to the processing and the, and the grinding house, as you know. And, um, you know, we really have we, we've watched what the process is and watch it carefully and, and like to know where all our product comes from and, and try to stabilize the price, you know. It's all about relationships. So, David, I, I know from experience and, and being a bit of an insider here uh, that you guys went to great lengths to choose the, the ground beef that you're getting. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that story? I think they might enjoy it. You know, what effectively happened was, you know, we felt like we really needed to understand what was the process um, from, you know, cattle grazing in a pasture to a burger patty on a bun about to go into a customer's mouth. And that's a, quite a challenge, like, you know, and as is often the case when you ask yourself, you know, a question like that, it was the, it was the, you know, the, the journey to get that answer that provided so much information for us. 
And in that quest, we went out and we really, we, we walked through the process of, of where our cattle came from. We went to the ranches, we went and looked at the feedlots, we went, you know, to all, every step of the process and, um, you know, just made, you know, got a deeper understanding of what, what product we were putting out there. Because even though we don't like wave it from, even though we don't wave it from the top of the, you know, restaurant on a flag, we, you know, it, it, as chefs by trade, it's our thing to, you know, try to, to give you the best quality food you can, that we can put out there. You know, you got to know the food you're serving. So that's important to you on the back end level. How do you wave your flag as as Tasty Burger? How do you stay relevant in the minds of your customers? I think we just try to maintain consistency, and uh, you know, and try to keep the food really good and at a really fair price. And I think the rest of it sort of takes care of itself. I mean, is there a more democratic food on the planet than a, than a hamburger? You know, I mean. I don't think anybody's going to stop eating hamburgers anytime soon. And the truth of the matter is, is I think that, you know, people get attached. They have loyalty to a brand because they're getting, they keep getting what they want out of that brand. And that's kind of what Tasty does. We just strive to be consistent, as consistent as we can be. So I know that you invoke a, a pretty fierce loyalty with your customers and I think you're pretty humble and might not want to admit that but it happens. Uh, I know for myself every time I go to Boston I purposely take the train to Back Bay Station just so I can start out my trip with a Tasty Burger. What, what do you think is the most important thing a restaurant operator should be doing to get that kind of loyalty and repeat customer business? Jesus, I you know that's a tough question just because it's like you know there's so many intangibles in it like, I think the quality of our 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 icon, our logo, I think the you know has something to do with. It. I think the quality of the food, I think you know, trying to make an atmosphere that's comfortable for people to be in and they have fun in, and you know, trying to provide the service of being open late at night. There's just a million intangible things, but at the end of the day, you know, we are in the business of 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 selling food. So, you know, my recommendation is make sure you're thinking from the kitchen out. Like, make sure the food is where it needs to be, you know, because people only have so much forgiveness if they, if they don't think you have good food, even if they like the room. So thinking, I mean, there's definitely a, the story here is definitely about high-quality food, and anybody who hasn't eaten a Tasty Burger, once you do, you'll understand. David, how... How important is the price when you're figuring out what you're doing with your menu items? I think it's less it's less about price and more about value, you know. So, in other words, for me, I really want to be 50 I I want to be able to offer people a combo meal that's within 50 cents of McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Carl Jr., all of those. That's really what I want to be able to do, you know, because then I think that it's really a tremendous value, and that combination is like a no-brainer, you know. So that's my target, you know. My target isn't necessarily to compete with the guys who are saying, hey, we have a better product, so we want to charge more money. 
my 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 target is to be as inclusive as possible, you know, and get the widest possible demographic with our pricing. You know, and if you're in a tasty burger, you know, it's always bizarre the the how the range of 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 people that are in there. I mean, it's really it's a very it's a very wide range of demographics that go to Tasty Burger and feel connected to it. You know, I'd argue the same about any really any good brand. You know, because it's funny to talk about Tasty Burger and loyalty and what people think about Tasty Burger, and then talk about like you know people like In and Out Burger who have just <laughs> I mean the loyalty that they incite is is incredible. You know. People like you. The story you were telling, like people just like get off the airplane and go to a uh, In and Out Burger, and you know, and just and just go right to the In and Out Burger and order as much as they can because they miss it. And I always love, you know, thinking about brands like that when I think about Tasty because, you know, 70 years later, it still incites the same energy and the same vibe, and it's still considered a great burger and a great value. And if, if they say that about us in 50 years, I'd be thrilled. I think that's a great comparison because Tasty is pretty inextricably linked to Boston, just as you mentioned, just in the way that In-N-Out is linked to the West Coast. So what do you look for when you're looking at opening new locations? Um, I know you've got this D.C. location coming up too, first one outside of the area. So what, what kind of thing do you look for when expanding? Uh, well, D.C., here's the thing about D.C. It's like I said. Every every you know major city has three to five strong regionals, and DC is no different. Like the DC restaurant scene's really strong, and they got a lot of great burgers, as you guys know, coming out of there. So you know, for us, when we first started to look at DC, um, we fell in love with the neighborhood first, and more than the city. It wasn't like there was a pin in a in in a uh, in a map, and we said we have to be in DC. Uh, where are we going to open? It was more like a friend of ours who is developing a project down there called and said, I got the perfect, because this is what I hear all the time, I got the perfect place for a Tasty Burger. Like, I hear that five times a week. And, you know, it was like, okay, well, that's intriguing. We want to make sure that this idea, you know, um, is something that can, can, can work outside of, um, you know, just the Boston area. And, you know, because we believe it can. And, you know, we have to prove that somewhere. And when I say outside of Boston, like, I don't mean southern New Hampshire or Rhode Island. or I mean, like, outside of the New England kind of thing. So, at any rate, this opportunity came up. And, you know, when you tell people you want to go to D.C., they show you the 14th Street Corridor. They show you DuPont Circle. They show you all these, like, obvious choices that you would see in a real estate broker's overlay when he's trying to say, here's where you should be. And we aren't really that type of place. We're a little more blue collar and a little more down to earth and a little more fun oriented. And, um, you know, we were looking for a different type of uh, entry into the market. And for us, it was, you know, we just fell in love with the Howard Shaw area, you know, because it's, it's right there in the Howard, you know, um, uh, university, uh, campus area and it's off the beaten track and it's up and coming and these huge projects that are sort of like 
building the neighborhoods. It's got a great restaurants, you know, around there, and it's got a really cool music music scene with the 930 Club, which is like one of the best music clubs in the country, constantly voted, and um, you know, it just is off the beaten track, and we don't want to go into D.C. We want to go into D.C. We want to be part of D.C. Like we're ultimately a neighborhood restaurant group, so when we go in, we look at the neighborhood before we actually look at anything bigger than that, you know, um, and and we just fell in love with that neighborhood. It's a really cool neighborhood, and this is a really unique and cool Tasty that's going in there, you know. It's got a lot of stuff that other Tasties don't have, and I think it'll ultimately, like, fit in to that neighborhood really well and become a real part of the fabric of, of D.C. Well, all right, so we're going to have to get to D.C. soon. Uh, we also let us know when that opens. Uh, D- April. It'll be open March or April, right around there, late March, early April. Just in time for the clouds to part and the snow and rain to disappear. Yeah. David, if I'm, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, like we, we talked about some branding and we talked about some food and we talked about sourcing, but to me, <clears throat> the sense I'm getting to you is that the real brand of Tasty Burger is sort of reliant on the neighborhood and the people who are around it. Would you say that's the case? And if so, like how much of that is in the DNA? Oh, man, I, you know, it's a restaurant business, and whether it's a burger joint or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, a fine dining hot cuisine, you know, uh, brigade house, whether, whether it's the top of the line or the bottom of the line, it's always about the humanity, the, the people. It just always is. That's the restaurant business. It doesn't matter whether you're in a $5 million build out or, you know, a $50 shack outside of a, you know, uh, you know, outside of a, a lake venue, it's all the same. It's 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 the the people that 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 service it, the people that eat there. You know, we spend so much of our time in restaurants. You know, as a society, and you know, so many things happen in restaurants. I you know, I've been in, I've owned restaurants now in Boston for for two decades, and I can't tell you how many times somebody's come up to me and just been like. You know, I asked my wife to marry me there, or you know, it's just one crazy story after another. And you know, I I think it's all about the people. It's about the people that 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 are team members that work there, and it's about the people that come there to uh, you know to eat, to drink, and to to live their lives there. You know, it's kind of cool. Well, it's great but, that you've become so much a part of people's lives in the in the region. Um, David, as we wrap up now, we, we always ask all of our guests the same few questions. Um, they are mostly burger-related, and since you are such a burger guy, very interested to hear what you have to say about your favorite burger from childhood. Okay, my favorite burger from childhood. I have to say my favorite burger from childhood is two. There's two, really that, you know, always stick out in my in my mind. The first one is one my father used to make, you know, and it was more like meatloaf than it was a burger, and they were literally one pound, and he'd cook them on the outdoor grill, and he'd get a ton of ground beef and put, like, uh, sautéed onions in them and Italian, progresso Italian breadcrumbs and um, salt and pepper and uh, eggs, and he mix it all together and make the most giant burger that it was literally a pound. 
and he put them on one of those, um, you know, kettle uh, outdoor grills and feed all, me and all my friends like all, all, all summer long. And these things were just mammoth. But I loved them. I loved the texture of them. I loved how soft they were and how charred the outside would get. And they had a real depth of flavor to them. Big, you know, everybody put what they want on them, but those were pretty good. I remember we served them on bulky rolls. And those were great. And then the other one that I always remember as a kid is um, there's a place in Cambridge in Harvard Square called Charlie's, the bar that's been around pretty much forever. And um, I always liked the Charlie Cheeseburger, double cheeseburger special. And it was basically like uh, they take all the like lettuce and, uh, and tomato and all that stuff and put it um, in one part of the dish. They put the burger open face, double cheeseburger open face on the other part, and then they pile a bunch of fries on top. And I love the fries would uh, would stick to the cheese, and and they give you Italian dressing on the salad. And so you build the double cheeseburger special, and they're still making them today. You build the double cheeseburger special, and you'd have the lettuce and tomato with the Italian dressing on it, and then you'd have You'd eat the, the fries that stuck to the cheese, so they'd have cheese on your fries. And it was just it's a really great thin patty, two two two-ounce patties. It was a great burger. It's still a great burger, you know. But when, when I back then, those are the two those are probably my two favorite burgers from growing up. David, what was the last burger you ate? Not at Tasty Burger. The last burger I ate was at hold on a second, I gotta think about this for one second. It was at this um, new restaurant in Detroit called um, called the Standby. In Detroit? Yeah, it's in downtown Detroit. It's only been open for like a uh, great restaurant. Um, it's only been open for like three or four weeks now. And uh, yeah, they, have a, they had this burger on the menu. I ordered it. The thing was wild. Delicious. All right. Well, Rev and I are both from Detroit, so next time I go home, I'm going to have to check that out. Oh, you guys are both from Detroit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a tasty burger has its eyes on Detroit. Oh, good to know. Yeah, in a big way, man. This, big this, way. this has been a very exciting podcast for people who like hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how you guys do it. It must must make you really hungry. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. So with that said... <laughs> Let's let's get you out of here so we can all go eat. David, what's uh what's one piece of advice you would give to someone in the food marketing business? Take take really good pictures of the food, because a picture is worth a thousand words, man. Everybody likes to write about it all the time. I, I like seeing the picture of it. Always makes me hungry and want to get it. You and me both. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us. I am starving now. Absolutely. <laughs> David, can you tell people where they can find out more about you or Tasty Burger? Yeah, go to tastyburger.com. You'll find out all you need to know. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.